Hey, welcome to Plant Yourself. I'm your host, Howard Jacobson. Two quick announcements before we get to today's show. If you're interested in becoming a health coach, I'm offering another run due to popular demand for people who can't make 8 p.m. on Wednesday nights, Eastern Time. So we're doing another run of the program, which will meet the practicums will meet at 10 a.m. on Wednesdays, Eastern Time U.S., which means if you're in Europe or Africa, uh, that might be good for you. Also, if you're in the US and evenings aren't good and you have free time in the mornings, either 7 a.m. Uh, Pacific time or 10 to 1130 Eastern, then you can participate. If you want to find out more about becoming a wicked effective health coach, you can go to wellstartcoach.com. Second thing is, if you're not aware of it, Josh Lajani and I have a book that is free on Amazon Kindle. It's called Sick to Fit. And if you just go to Amazon and search for Sick to Fit, you'll be able to download it for free and read it on any Kindle enabled device, even a phone, smartphone, tablet, computer whatever. All right, let's get to today's episode. This is the Plant Yourself podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com, well start health and sick to fit. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a svelte and satisfying life. So today's a short episode because it is with Dr. Michael Greger, but he talks twice as fast as most people. So 30 minutes for him is like an hour for everybody else. He is the author of recently How Not to Diet, and it is just stunning. This book, I actually didn't finish it. One of the first books I've ever not finished in time for an interview. I gave myself a week and it wasn't enough. I kept going down the rabbit hole of the 5000 citations that are all available off of the nutritionfacts.org website, clickable. And this book is a love song to science, to its potential, to its process, even and perhaps especially to its limitations. And there has never been a more comprehensive, accessible and evidence based look at our current knowledge of how to get to and maintain a healthy weight. There's none of the smoke and mirrors, intentional obfuscation or sloppy interpretation that plagues most diet books. In fact, he writes in the preface, here's the problem. I'm not going to do it in his voice. <laughs> here's the problem. I hate diet books. Furthermore, I hate diet books that purport to hate diet books, yet relish in all the same absurdities. This book is for those who want facts, not fantasy, not filler, fantasy or fluff. And I assumed um, and Dr. Greger confirmed that he also assumed the book would just be a comprehensive review of the literature that would basically tell me what I already know and what you already know, that a whole food plant based diet is the best way to eat, not only for health, but for svelf. And that's not a word, but it should be. And the book did not disappoint in that regard. It clearly shows that high fiber plant based diets lead to normalized body mass through a wide variety of mechanisms, some of which we talk about the ileal break and the fiber feedback loop, caloric density, down regulation of fat metabolizing enzymes, the glycemic index, reduction in hyperpalatability triggers, and many more. What I did not expect to find in the book, and what Dr. Greger was also quite shocked to discover, was a laundry list of, for lack of a better word, hacks that have been shown in rigorous scientific tests to support weight loss. But the science has not been profitable. So it really has not been shared around. And I know that sounds like every other diet book, like this is why they're keeping it from you. But the, the references are there and you can follow them yourself. Things like when when we eat, when we exercise, common 
two cent a day spices, the angle of our sleeping in our beds, small amounts of vinegar at every meal, eating and sipping slowly, aggressive use of the bathroom scale, and a lot more things. So two brief announcements before we get to the conversation with Dr. Greger. One is a reminder that the Plant Yourself podcast is freely available for everyone, including people who can't afford to pay for it. And therefore, it is paid for by those who can. And mostly it's still paid for by me in terms of time, hosting, uh, opportunity costs of other things I could be doing. But there's a growing community of supporters. And if you would like to join that growing community of supporters with an ongoing monthly contribution to keep things stable, you can do so at patreon.com. Just search for Plant Yourself. Thank you. Every little bit helps. And Big bits help even more. Second thing, Josh and I are getting ready to do a couple more retreats. One of them is in New Orleans in uh, March, and another is in North Carolina in June. And we're also looking to lead a group on an adventure of a lifetime in South Africa, culminating with a, a race called Run the Berg, a two-day race in one of the most beautiful mountain ranges in the world, the Rockensburg Mountains of South Africa. We are not committed to going yet because we need to know that there are people who want to come with us. It would be September, around the end of September, September 20th to 22nd is the race. If you're interested, hit me up. HJ at plantyourself.com. This is not a commitment. We're just trying to figure out if there's enough interest to spend what will be a huge amount of time uh, planning, prepping this trip. To find out about all upcoming retreats, just go to sicktofit.com. All right, let's talk about weight loss. Without further ado, Dr. Michael Greger, welcome back to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thank you so much. Happy to be back. Yeah, I, th I thought you wrote a book, but you actually wrote a four-year um, course in science and nutrition. I have to admit, I'm not quite done. I gave myself a week, and I kept going down the rabbit hole of all your citations. It is, it is a remarkable book, How Not to Diet. Only 4,990 citations. I don't know what, your, uh, what the problem is. You guys really slacked off. You could have made the 5K mark. Well, it's not so. about numbers. It's about... <laughs> Quality. There you go. Um, so I have way too many questions for the time we have. Um, but I guess the, the, the first question is, I, you wrote in the, the very beginning, I hate diet books that purport to hate diet books, yet, rel <laughs> yet relish in, the same, in all the same absurdities. And you acknowledge that marketing is very effective and that before and after pictures and stories and anecdotes are effective. Why did you decide to write a book that is kind of the anti-diet book with only studies and, and narratives about science rather than anecdote and inspiration? What, what, are you, what did you hope to accomplish? Yeah, if you want testimonials and before and after pictures, you have come to the wrong place. I'm not interested in anecdotes. I'm interested in evidence, right? When it comes to making life and death decisions, like what to eat for yourself and your family, it's really only one question. What's the best available balance of evidence suggests right now? Um, and so this is a book for people who want facts, not fantasy, filler, or fluff. Um, you know, I was just so sick and tired of the nutritional noise and nonsense out there. Uh, I just wanted there to be a, a, a evidence-based diet book, right? And I cited literally thousands of studies digging up every possible tip, trick, tweak, technique proven to accelerate the loss of body fat, to give people every possible advantage and basically build the optimal weight loss solution from the ground up. 
So when I was reading it, I was thinking in terms of, you know, your your daily videos, which are kind of reviews of the literature and also thinking about how not to die, which was looking at 15 different causes of death. And what, but this book seemed very different and that something started happening around halfway through that it felt like there was this emergent property that you and your team of researchers knew like knew more than the diet industry. Like, you know, Garth Davis often sends me like slides from obesity conferences of the, of nonsense. It's like there's there was there something in putting together this project? And I know you have a list of maybe 40 or 50 volunteers and other people who helped out that that kind of brought you that sort of raises our understanding of obesity and weight loss treatments that, that goes beyond just the collection of, of all this disparate evidence. Yeah, you know, I went into this thinking that I would just, you know, end up railing against all the gimmicky snake oil out there and, you know, uh, pretty much put out the same standard advice to trim calories and hit the gym. Uh, so I mentioned what would really kind of set this work, work apart would be kind of its comprehensiveness and strict grounding in science. Um, but, you know, my research team uncovered just this treasure trove of buried data. Um, you know, like, you know, simple spices proven and randomized placebo controlled trials to you know, accelerate weight loss for pennies a day. But I mean, with so little profit potential, there's uh, no wonder these studies never saw the light of day. But look, the only profiting I care about is people's health, right? That's why 100% of the proceeds I receive from all my books, including this one, is all donated to charity. I just want everyone to have access to this life saving, life changing information. Mm -hmm. Have you um, seen um, an impact from this. I know this book's only been out for a little while, but I assume you sent out advanced copies to people from like medical professionals, healthcare professionals who aren't necessarily in the vegan plant based camp. Is this moving the needle with folks? Well, I have. Uh, uh, so I have a 200 city book tour and I completed three weeks of it, uh, mostly Southern California and Arizona so far. Um, and actually going back to Southern Cal uh, in, in a few weeks. Um, and I uh, spoke, uh, spoke at a lot of hospitals and, uh, you know, uh, most of it is just, uh, you know, uh, dispelling ignorance. People just had no idea. I mean, you weren't taught about this in medical school. So really starting from scratch. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. I give the same talk to lay audiences that I do to medical audiences <laughs> because the medical audiences are lay audiences when it comes to nutrition and weight loss. Right. Well, yeah, you have this wonderful line that an MD before after your name is, a, is an anti-credential for writing a diet. Book. Right, right. Oh, my God. Right. It just it displays to the world your total lack of training and, and uh, ignorance. And it says, I learned everything I need to know about nutrition from the, you know, checkout aisle magazine. Like, basically, that's all. That's, that's what it advertises. Right. So um, what? If you had written this book 10 years ago, what what would have been missing? Like what what are the, the latest and greatest? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I mean, uh, so there's been a revolution in our understanding of the microbiome. Uh, chronobiology is a relatively new field, uh, optimal timing for both uh, therapeutics and uh, lifestyle interventions like meals and exercise regimens. Um, uh, you know, I mean, uh, so, for example, the microbiome, most bugs in our gut are actually unculturable, meaning you cannot grow them outside of the human gut, like in a petri dish or something. So it's very hard to study them. In fact, very even hard to know what's in there. Um, it was like the dark matter of fecal matter. <laughs> um, but then 
uh, we have DNA fingerprinting techniques. And so for the first time, we were able to say, wait a second, well, you know, what kind of bacteria are in people's guts? And, you know, does it matter? Uh, are some bacteria correlated to certain disease states or certain diets and what's the connection? And, and then we started doing fecal transplant studies to actually prove it's the microbiome because you can actually, you know, swap microbiomes between people. Um, and so, you know, that's been a, a, a great understanding. And the bottom line is that we need to eat diets that are high in prebiotics, what our good gut bacteria eat, that's resistant starch and fiber found uh, in all um, unprocessed plant foods, but particularly in legumes, beans, split peas, chickpeas, and lentils, and whole grains, particularly whole intact grains. Right. So, um, and that's the fiber feedback loop, right? So that when the yeah. when the fiber hits down, can you describe the was it the ileal break? Oh yeah, ileal break is awesome. <laughs> so uh, so basically, when your body detects calories all the way down uh, in the ileum, which is the last part of the small intestine before it dumps into the colon, your body thinks, oh my god, I must be full from stem to stern, and dials down our appetite. You can show this experimentally. You can prove it by sticking a nine-foot tube down people's throats, squirting in a little, uh, any kind of calories, fat, protein, carbs, um, and compared to squirting a little water as the placebo control, people eat significantly less at an all-you-can-eat buffet. They just don't feel as hungry. It just doesn't do much for them because their brain is trying to stop them from eating. And so how can we take advantage of this ileal break? Well, um, the medical industry said, wow, how are we going to get, you know, nutrition? How are we going to get, you know, calories into the last part of the small intestine? Well, why don't we just cut out the intervening, you know, you know, uh, you know, 20 or so feet of intestines? And so they created this ileal bypass surgery. The first, um, uh, uh, I think it's called the jejunal ileal bypass, the first um, bariatric surgery, the first weight loss surgery, where they just cut out the small intestines and detach the beginning of the intestines all the way to the end. So basically anything you ate went straight to the ileum, activated the ileal break. Awesome! Until uh, people started dropping dead from uh, liver fibrosis, uh, affecting about one in three people, disastrous. Uh, thousands of people died. Um, and it is a real dark blot on the history of surgery. People don't realize there is no like FDA approval for new surgeries. Any surgeon can come up with any surgery and just do it. No one has to even right, be like, oh, why don't we do this and put this pipe mm. here? And anyone can do anything. And there's no regulation. Um, <laughs> there's and, there's, uh, there's more so, regulation around um, like plumbing and electricity in my house. Uh, probably, right? They, you you got to get permits for that yeah. kind of stuff, right? <laughs> Um, and so, uh, yeah, anyway, so, um, so okay, is there a healthy way to do it without chopping out your intestines? Why? Well, yes, there is. Um, we can eat fiber rich foods and what fiber does because fiber is not absorbed in the small intestine. You have this mass of, you know, gelled fiber moving through your digestive tract and calories are only absorbed when they come in physical contact with your with the wall of your intestine. So you have all these calories, these fat, carbs, and sugar mixed in, um, uh, and protein mixed into this gel mass of fiber, which goes all the way through you and ends up um, down in the ileum, and uh, these calories continue to hit the wall, and be like, oh, wow, ileal break. Um, and in fact, that's how, of course, we were meant to eat. Um, so you eat a lot of fiber-rich foods. There was no such thing as a Twinkie in the African savanna. Um, and so, 
um, you know, we were meant to have this satiety signal from eating, but now we don't have it because we don't eat fiber-rich foods. Right. So I think what one of the like the main themes of the book, you 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 know, the sort of the thrifty gene hypothesis, and you quote Dobzhansky in the beginning that nothing in biology makes sense except in the light of evolution. And so it's like there's there, as you said, there's this mismatch between what our bodies are meant to do and the environment in which we're in. And the big fight in in the world is between things that we do to harm our bodies to make us thinner, right? Like the, the jejunal surgery or this, you know, this this wonderful um, was it Orlistat that causes anal leakage, which which is like fat not getting absorbed. So there's all these ways in which. OK, so we're in this weird environment. So let's let's damage our bodies so they don't take in so much versus what you have. You know, your the 17 factors, the 21 tweaks. These are things that are that are if mostly health, uh, almost entirely health promoting. Some might be a little bit neutral, but like it's it's almost it's, you're almost um, like skating the line between like strand straight nutrition excellence and biohacking. Yeah, yeah, no, that, I think that's a really good way to describe it. Yeah, the whole thrifty gene hypothesis, hypothesis suggests that this evolutionary mis mismatch, like a you know polar bear in a jungle, well, where all that fat and fur was really helpful living off in the Arctic, but decidedly disadvantageous um, in the tropics. And it's the same thing with us, our craving for calorie-dense food so we don't starve to death in a famine two million years ago um, and our craving for salt, because there weren't salt shakers in KFC um, in, uh, in West Africa. Um, you know, so we had these cravings to keep us alive. But you plop those same biological traits down in, you know, you know bacon, butter, Big Mac country. And that craving for salt is going to kill you. That craving for sugary foods, that craving for fatty foods, calorie-dense foods is going to kill you. Um, but that's how these industries make money. Right? The, the food industry is the largest industry in the world, more than petroleum, more than, I mean, a multi-trillion dollar industry. And they make money not by selling us produce that can go bad. Where's the money in that? You can't patent it, can't brand it. What makes money is a snack cake that lasts for a few weeks on the shelf. Good for shelf life, not good for human life. Right. I took. I, I made a note in the margin that um, when you're talking about... Uh, you know, the big, big food industry that obesity is really a willpower problem, but it's not it's the willpower of our society and elected officials to stand up to big food, not not individuals ah, eating less. Right. No, exactly. The, the, I mean, the way they want to present it like that is because then they can feed us this endless parade of quick fix fads that always sell because they always fail. Right. I mean, repeat business is the whole model, the business model of the diet industry, yet people just kind of continue to get lined up to get fooled again. You know, I want to make it clear that obesity is not some kind of moral failing, right? The battle of the bulge is a battle against biology. We are living in a toxic food environment, floating in a sea of excess calories, drowning in a sea while being bombarded by ads, you know, for fast food, candy. Becoming overweight is a normal, natural reaction to this abnormal, unnatural ubiquity of sugary, fatty foods concentrated in calories. All right. So what, one thing you write about is there are two satiety pathways, the homeostatic and the hedonic. And the hedonic tends to overwhelm 
the homeostatic because it's triggered so often. Can you kind of explain that? Yeah, so I mean, the homeostatic system, just like uh, temperature, for example, we get too hot, we start to sweat, we get too cold, we start to shiver. These are ways where our body keeps it in right the in just the right um, um, uh, balance. And similarly, there are mechanisms whereby we get too skinny, we uh, rev up our appetite to eat more, we get too fat. There's a way there's a way our body dials down our appetite to eat less, so we can you know, escape predation, for example, run away from saber-toothed tigers, what do we need to do? There's an evolutionary advantage to being slim and healthy. Um, and so, but at the same time, we evolved in the context of scarcity, um, where we never knew where the next meal necessarily would come from, pre-agricultural days. Um, and so, you know, we could go days without eating, maybe one meal a, a day. Um, and so there was, so should we stumble across a blueberry bush or something, ripe fruit, um, we are driven to overwhelm our kind of homeostatic drive, which would be like, well, don't eat too much, buddy. But look, oh my God, the hedonic drive, this craving for sugar, for fat, for salt, um, overwhelms that because we want to stuff in as many calories as possible because who knows when the next time we're going to eat is. And so we're hardwired to have this overdrive mechanism to be to overwhelm our body's kind of natural urges to stay slim um, in hopes that we can pack on pounds to survive the next famine. But of course, the next famine never comes anymore and we just keep packing it on. Right. And I guess there's uh, there's some evidence. I don't think you talk about it in the book, at least not the four, 480 pages that I've read so far around when we do. Have, yeah, my bad. When when we do have this um, hedonic response, it also creates very strong emotional states and memories. So we remember. Right. So it becomes it becomes even more uh, self-fulfilling that this, you know, the Snickers bar that I had from the candy machine today is going to make my brain smarter about getting it tomorrow. And right. And you'll treat you'll see that uh, that vending machine and it'll be triggered with cravings. Right. You can stick people in an fMRI scanner, this functional um, MRI scanner, this brain scanner, and you can see those reward pathways light up when even shown just a picture of a milkshake. Right. I mean, our, our lizard brain, we may intellectually know that's just a picture, but our lizard brain just sees, you know, fat and sugar, concentrated calories. And we get I mean, and we get the in the same kind of thing you put an alcoholic in, you give them a, whi a, li a whiff of whiskey or you take a, a cocaine addict and you show them like drug paraphernalia, get those same light up pathways. And in fact, that's what many drugs of abuse do is they actually kind of commandeer those same kind of uh, uh, addictive pathways that keep us alive. We need to be addicted to breast milk. We need to be addicted to calorie to calories. Otherwise, we would we would die. In fact, um, they actually produced um, um, uh, transgenic animals without a dopamine rewards um, pathways um, in their brains, and they just starve themselves to death. I mean, food was just completely uninteresting to them, and they just died. I mean, they didn't even think about it. Um, so, I mean, these are critically important to be to have that, you know, to, to for a body to crave um, foods that are calorie dense. But of course, what does that mean? Calorie dense means ripe fruit, starchy roots, you know, things that, you know, we did not yet have fruit loops. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the Miocene era, twenty million years ago. Yeah, I'm almost. I'm feeling a little bit like almost um, offended for humanity that, like, the universe said, you know, we have to infantilize this species, otherwise they're just not going to make it. So we're going to create all these, um, you know, impulses and adaptations to make sure the babies drink their milk, to make sure the grown-ups don't starve to death. And but you talk about uh, there are. There are foods that we can add today that kind of have the same effect without our having to have thought and willpower. You can, like you, so there are foods that spontaneously cause, cause weight loss without trying. Right. So, for example, thylakoids, which are part of green leaf membranes and green leafy vegetables um, where photosynthesis takes place, actually binds to, uh, to uh, an enzyme in our gut called lipase, which is the fat digesting enzyme. And so it slows the absorption of fat. So again, activates the ileal break. So eating a half a cup of cooked greens every day, um, shown to ex- significantly accelerate weight loss and decrease urge for sweets, decrease urge for chocolate. Um, uh, eat, people eat less at all. You can eat buffet and over time, um, uh, they lose more weight. So greens don't just have, you know, the fiber and low in calorie density, lots of water, I mean, there's all sorts of benefits from eating uh, food like that, but there's these particular benefits from certain foods like greens that act as starch blockers or fat, uh, you know, burners or these metabolic boosters. And so that's really the second half of the book. Um, So once we have a healthy diet, healthy slimming diet, then what are the kind of things that we can do regardless of what we eat to accelerate fat um, loss even further? So the specific foods I talk about. Right. So I want to cover one more um sort of weight loss topic and then get to a sort of a more general questions about research um, exercise. So you 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 bust a lot of myths um, about what you know, exercise and weight loss. Give us give us the the cliff notes on, on that. Yeah. So, um, you know, a moderately obese person, moderately intensely exercising, like very brisk walking or biking burns about 300 cal- 350 calories an hour. Whereas, you know, typical, you know, beverages, snacks, you know, processed foods uh, are consumed at a rate of about 70 calories a minute. So in five minutes, you just wiped out an entire hour of exercise. That's why, uh, you know, you can't really outrun a bad diet. Mm-hmm. Right. But one, I mean, one of the things I was thinking is like, you know, so just like in, you know, people want to change their diets and go just moderately better. So like, you know, skinless chicken, like we know that doesn't work, right? It's the like, I think David Katz refers to the tiny parachute effect, right? Right, but, right, but, right. But also in terms of exercise, like we're like, if we exercise like real humans, it would have like you talk about like oh. two hours a day, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like to me, two hours a day. It's like, oh, my God, when am I going to find the time? You know, you're you're I don't know if you're on a treadmill or on the stepper right now. I'm on my treadmill. OK, uh, but for like a normal human in, in our ancestral environment, of course, we'd be up, oh, yeah. up in about eight to 10 hours a day just doing our right. business. Right. Yeah. I mean, we were built to move. Um, uh, what's unnatural is sitting around all day like most people do. So, right. So this recommendation I have of 90 minutes of moderate intensity exercise every day um, you know, if anything, is really kind of undershooting the activity. But look, we were we evolved to be lazy. Why expend excess calories when we don't need to? That's why we're going for the most calorie dense foods instead. I mean, what's the point of foraging, 
you know, for 10 hours to get enough food that only gives you nine hours worth of energy. Like, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, and so, you know, basically we evolved um, exercising uh, really just kind of for fun um, or because we had to. And so that's way, that's how you incorporate exercise. You do it for fun. So you do it with friends. You play sports. You, you know, uh, listen to a podcast, walk the dog, you know, things that make it enjoyable. Or you force yourself to, like you park far away at a parking spot, so you got to walk back and forth. You take the stairs instead of the escalator. You work on a, 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 a you know, a treadmill desk like I do, and you just, you know, walk without even kind of realizing it. You know, I mean, you, know, you just kind of have to find ways to get movement into your life. But that's mostly for longevity. Um, in terms of weight loss. Again, we have much more control over calories in. In fact, we have total control, right? You can eat nothing during the day. Whereas only a small fraction of calories out, the other side of the equation, is that we actually have voluntary control over most of the calories we burn every day is just existing. If you lied in bed all day, didn't get out of bed at all, I mean, you still burn 1,000 calories a day just to keep your brain going, your heart pumping and all that stuff. And so actually the voluntary exercise component is actually just a very small slice Whereas we have all the control on the other side, and so that's why we just have to eat healthier. All right. So, four thousand nine hundred and ninety citations. My favorite study that you cite. So I haven't looked at all of them because I am mm -hmm. a slacker, as we as we've uh, established. Slacker. We've already established. As yeah. we've established. Um, but I love this the the study the ABA study of the plant-based diet where yeah. they had to throw out the results because the women in the study refused to go back to a to their old crappy diet all right yeah no no yeah it works too good it's hard to study yeah so physicians committee for responsible medicine does a lot of studies like this so-called ABA design where basically you know you take people regardless they did it for, they've done it for uh, um, menstrual cramps they've done it for migraines I've done it for a bunch of different things. So basically, you take people, even young, healthy people, um, you know, I mean, you can you can argue that, um, you know, after like a heart attack or something, it's easy to get people on the right diet because they're so scared for their lives. But we're talking young, healthy people um, who are just not thinking about chronic disease, uh, but, you know, have something like migraines or something. Uh, and so you put them on a plant-based diet and, you know, uh, migraines may get better. And if that happens, you say, well, wait a second, was it just coincidence that the migraines got better? Let's put people back on the original diet and see if the migraines come back. Then that would, you know, give you more robust evidence that the diet really was playing a role. Um, and so you sign up to do the study and they explain how it's going to go. But many people feel so good eating plant-based. Migraines gone away. They may have had chronic pain all the time, every single day, and all of a sudden they don't do that. And hey, digestion's better, sleep's better, more energy. They just feel better. Um, uh, that they say, okay, now you got to go back to your original diet. They're like, screw you, no way am I going back <laughs> to the original diet. And what the problem is that you have to throw out that data point. You have to throw them out of the study because they didn't complete the study as they should have. Um, and so only the people that were willing to go back to their original diet are included in the study. And so the results are actually not as robust as they actually found, but just because people um, weren't being yeah. compliant. But yeah, that's 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 one of the problems. Right. Hard to study plant-based diets that work just a little too good. Right. So what you're, if you had a tagline, it would be "Let's put it to the test." Right. So a lot of you know, your your videos and a lot like there's a plot, right? Like you're going to give us the the the, the, right. the setup, and then of course there's yeah. a payoff. Now, of course, a lot of studies have not been done yet. So I'm really curious, like if you if you were in charge, 
of medical of, of research. Like what what directions would you like it to go in? What do you think we still need to know more of? Oh, you know, there's a lot of stu there's a lot of studies that um, uh, th that uh, we have uh, we have correlation no causation yet. So we have so for example, low back pain is a great example. You can very closely correlate the clogs in the vertebral arteries that feed the lumbar discs of the spine. You do an MRI, you see how clogged off those arteries are, and that correlates um, very closely with degenerative disc disease and low back pain, a leading cause of disability. Um, tracks very closely, you can do it over time and see those with the, with the you know, uh, with those squeezed off arteries, uh, more likely to develop back pain. Um, but the question is, you can't prove cause and effect until you put it to this. Meaning, can we actually either prevent um, uh, uh, the development of back pain by improving people's diet, or even better, reverse it? What if we opened up those arteries without drugs, without surgery, just a plant-based diet and other healthy lifestyle behaviors? Would the back pain go away? Would those discs come back? What an amazing study. Think how many millions of people suffer from sciatica, low back pain. Imagine if we could reverse that crippling disability we don't know. It's never been done. I'd love to see that study. Mm -hmm. what, what, what else? What other where, where else do you feel like frustrated that you just, we just don't know enough? Or do you think maybe like we do and like there's you know, everything else is sort of, you oh, know, icing oh, look, on the cake? Look, we have those randomized control trials proving reversal of heart disease. Number one killer of men and women. What else do you need to know? Right. I mean, there's only one diet that's been proven to reverse heart disease in the majority of patients, plant-based diet. I mean, shouldn't that be the default diet to prove otherwise? And the fact that we're also so effective at preventing, arresting, or reversing other leading killers like type 2 diabetes and high blood pressure would seem to make the case for plant-based eating simply overwhelming. So does it also help with back pain? Probably. We have no idea. But hey, you still don't want to die of heart disease, back pain or not, so you just do it, right? But uh, I'd love to see more reversal studies. Uh, we have some good case series on lupus. I'd love to see that in a randomized controlled trial. Um, we have good um, uh, um, uh, um, uncontrolled studies on, uh, um, on relapse prevention for ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. Would love to see those in randomized controlled trials. Um, would uh, love to see breast cancer reversal studies. We've, uh, we were able to reverse the progression of prostate cancer, leading cancer specific to men, um, with a whole food plant-based diet, um, you know, wouldn't that be great to see if we could do it with breast cancer too? Never been done. Although, you know what Ornish is doing now? He conquered our killer number one heart disease, moved on to killer number two, a cancer, and was able to show reversal of the progression of prostate cancer. Now, he moved on to killer number four, Alzheimer's disease, randomizing Alzheimer's patients to a whole food plant-based diet in an attempt to reverse the progression of Alzheimer's disease, that takes some chutzpah. Um, and the uh, trial is going on now. Can't wait to see what the results are. Right. Now, when, are we, when are we going to tackle number three, medical error? Oh, well, um, uh, well hopefully, um, if people are so healthy, they won't need the drugs that cause the fatalities. They won't get the hospital-acquired infections. And uh, yeah, they won't get the wrong surgeries, etc. Right. Well, last question. Is there another book in your mind? Absolutely. How not to die. Um, excuse me. We already did that. How not to age 2023, December 2023. Uh, yeah, I'm so excited um, and uh, good talking to you and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you. You too, Dr. Gregor. A pleasure. 
All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I definitely highly, highly, highly recommend How Not to Diet. You can get it from a link on the show notes for today's episode, which is at plantyourself.com slash 362. And of course, if you buy any Amazon products off of this website, that sends me a little bit of a kickback, uh, aka affiliate commission, which helps support the podcast. Another way to support the podcast, which is free, is to leave a review at Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and to let other people know about it. Maybe you could share this podcast with one person. If everybody who listens did that with one person and they started listening, do the math. That would double my listenership. Oh, my gosh. And they should be listening. I have such a great list of guests coming up. I've already recorded with Brad Stolberg who, along with Steve Magnus, wrote Peak Performance and the book we talk about, The Passion Paradox. Um, I have a conversation recorded with Carolyn Raffensberger, one of the unsung heroines, <laughs> heroes, heroes, of the environmental movement. She is one of the creators of the precautionary principle. I also recorded a conversation last week with Shane Williams, a cardiologist out of Canada, and I have conversations scheduled this week today with Colleen Patrick Goudreau, uh, who wrote a book called The Joyful Vegan. If you're in the vegan community for any length of time, you know of Colleen's work. Tomorrow, a conversation with Kelly McGonigal, um, all-star researcher and writer, uh, whose most recent book is Don't Tell Me. I just read it. We're going to be talking about it tomorrow. The Joy of Movement, which I have recommended to everyone in the Missing Chins Run Club to, to read. She's uh, the Roberta Flack of, of running insanity, uh, singing our lives with, with her book. Uh, also, this coming up this week, a conversation with Aaron Spitz, the urologist who is featured in the best scenes in The Game Changers. So all those and many more are reasons why you should keep listening and let other people know that they can find all this great stuff. They meet all these fascinating people at Plant Yourself. Garden News involves looking at catalogs this week and checking out what seeds we've saved and bulbs and tubers. And so it's a kind of an exciting time to be uh, fantasizing about next year's garden. Going to be a lot of herbs. We are considering not planting tomatoes, which we have considered every single year for the past five. And at the last minute, we don't resist, but we're going to try to keep to it this year. We can buy tomatoes from other people and really try to grow other things that we're better at and that are more suited to our soil and our terroir. In running news, there is no running news because my back went out uh, last Monday. It's been a week, exactly a week. I'm recording this on uh, Monday, the 27th, and I'm still basically just walking. I spent two hours walking yesterday, picking up garbage uh, along a nearby street. So you know, a mile and a half of walking and maybe 400 squats to pick up other people's cigarette butts and soda cans and things like that. But uh, hopefully by next week, I will be back to gentle jogging. All right, time for some thanks. Of course, thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use Sabali Don. The Dance of Peace is the theme music for this show. You can find out more about Will and hear his music at willridenauer.com. And thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. I went through Patreon and I did a bit of culling. People who had stopped supporting the show like three years ago, I'm still reading their names. So I'm going to try to say them now um, by reading the new ones instead of just the ones I memorized. So it might be a little bit uh, trippy and slippy, but here we go. 
Kim Harrison, Lynn McLellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Morrow, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jean Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Scharf, Dina Ahern, Jen Flickenowski, David Bysak, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleague Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wade Pedersen, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franzek, Jeanette Bedham, Gila Lacerda, Dave Donahue, Blair Cyber, Dorona Vizov, Joe and Carol Narcitati, Jody Friesner, Ruth Ann Thunderberg. Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Z, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lindemann, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Stephanie, whoops, Martha Bergner, Susan Amon, Molly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R, Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, Dean Norton, Bonnie Lynch, Plant Happy Organ, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Coble, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell. Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Holm Hedegaard, he's Susan Wakani, Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor. Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Orlikoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divitt, Joshua Sommermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily, Emily Iconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Bacorny. Stephen Leenan, Patty DiMartino, Mike and Donna Kartz, Deanne Bishop, Bill Brielf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Moulton, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarie Hagen, Tracy Gulledge, Laura Heaton, Maggie from Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parham Ganchi, Amy Daly, Brian Turvin, Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, and Karen Schmidt for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for today. This is a short episode. I'm considering dropping another one on Friday. We'll see. As always, be well, my friends. So if you appreciate the Plant Yourself podcast and would like to help support the mission of the show, there's a few easy ways to do it. One is to just go to wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review. Let other people know about it. Give us some stars. Give us some love. And that really helps us be found by more people. Something else, of course, you can do is let someone know about this podcast, someone uh, who you think would benefit. Send them maybe a couple of episodes that you think would uh, pique their interest or just uh, ask them to subscribe in general. And third, you can join arms and become a patron, a financial supporter of this show. You may have noticed that there's no advertising in the show and it's free for everyone and it's supported, paid for by those who can afford it. So if you would like to make a one time contribution or an ongoing monthly pledge, you can do so at plantyourself.com slash gift. All right. Time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Dawn, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Mara, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jean Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Filkonofsky, David Vizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrews, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, Kara Adams, Tom Fronsek, Jeanette Benham, Gil Lacerda, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Toronto Vizo, Gio and Carol Argitati, Jody Friesner, with Ann Thunderberg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck. 
The equally mysterious Tracy Z of Eva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lenneman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harperson, Martha Bergner, Susan Amon, Molly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R., Susan Laverty, the Panda, Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, The Plant, Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Shannon Hirsch, Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzumak, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis. Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Orlikoski of Plant Powered for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divid, Joshua Sommermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darmy Kelly, Laurie Fanny, Lenane Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McEntee, Dan McCorney, Stephen Leenan. Petty D. Martino, Mike and Donna Carson, Deanne Bishop, Bill Brielf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bashford, Gunn Marie Hagen, Tracy Gullis, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, Diana, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parham Ganchi, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt. Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidoroska, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught, Avedible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, and Danielle Roberts for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for today. As always, be well, my friends.